As I prepare to record this um, original piece for the podcast, I'm looking outside out my window, and it is incredibly windy outside. You may be able to hear that. Um, I'm not certain if it's going to be reflected in the recording. Um, And it was snowing a little bit earlier, but the fallen leaves are being just buffeted by the wind. It's, um, it's an interesting atmosphere for recording this piece. So this was originally written in 2013, and um, it was meant to be the beginning of a novel, um, but more importantly, it is the creation myth for the three moons that were referenced in the last um, the last episode of this podcast. So I thought that would be kind of a an interesting um, path or or link to follow to to do for the next episode. So that's what this is. And, um, without further ado, I will read it for you. This is how the story begins, with a single leaf falling. To find that leaf would be to pluck a needle from a haystack, as any number of leaves fall on any given day for any number of reasons. But this one... It was a first, a leader, a demarcation in time, and despite its status, its importance, it would be lost on the forest floor, be absorbed back into the soil, pushed down into mulch with the accumulating years, and one day return not as a leader, but as a follower. That would be another story altogether. That one leaf falling with purpose prompted others to follow suit, until at last the mass exodus became noticeable to the other beings who made their homes in the vicinity, until finally the sun could no longer soften the earth, the air. This is how the journey begins, not with a single step, but with the slow, inescapable passage of time. The grass, heavy with dew, glinted cold in the morning light. There was little bird song, which was unusual, but then it was a particularly chilly day, so they really could not be blamed for not wanting to come out. Trees were bowing into the brook, as they always did. There was little water flowing today, and if she had wanted to, Nauru could have crossed to the other side, stepping lightly on rocks jutting up from the riverbed. Most of the rocks dotting the brook looked wet still. There was not enough sunlight yet to dry them. The gentle rustle of the water being parted by the rocks and tumbling over the tiny falls ahead was soothing, and Nauru breathed deeply. The air smelled like spice, but it was sharp with cold too, and she shivered, delighting in it. It was in this morning unsunlight that she bent with her pail and dipped it in the shallow brook to take water. King King Nauru? It was a small, familiar voice, hesitating. 
May I stay with you? Surprised, Nauru turned to look, her pail still bobbing in the water. What are you doing, Wake? Not even the sun is fully wakened yet. My dreaming ended early. Ah, Nauru wore a slight smile. She understood that affliction. Ah, well, I wonder then, is there time for a story? If you please, King Nauru. The child came closer, little nose turned up, looking to Nauru with a hopeful smile. I would be glad to tell you a story, my little egg. Nauru's small smile turned into a wide one, and she motioned to a small rock beside the brook, this one mostly dry. Sit, little Tanwen, and I'll tell you of the moonbirds. Tanwen went to sit immediately, looking attentive and uncaring of the chill at the prospect of hearing a story. Her hair, braided, was thoroughly mussed from sleeping on it, one of her bows having come partly undone. The silly child, perhaps half asleep when she had left her bed, was wearing but a thin shift. Nauru laughed with no small amount of affection on seeing this, and went over, bending down to hug her tightly. She breathed deeply, and then murmured, the chill on your skin will be the chill on my skin. She retied the unraveled bow in Tanwen's hair and moved away, finding a rock big enough for her to sit on comfortably. Was that the source? Tanwen was running her hands over her exposed arms with wide eyes. They were warm. Protection, Nauru said simply, fidgeting as she arranged her skirt so that her legs stayed covered. She had goosebumps. Are you cold, King Nuru? The wind picked up a little, though it was weak where they were sitting by the trees, and Nuru had to suppress a smile at her perceptiveness. No, she answered when the air was calm again. It was a small lie, but not a harmful one. I will tell you of the moonbirds now. Tanwen, her little egg, said nothing, interested, waiting. This was, for Nuru, Tanwen's most endearing trait, her love for listening. Because sure as the brook flowed through her kingdom, Nuru loved to tell. Stories, tidings, poetry, well, perhaps not poetry as much. Song and poetry was Queen Zara's area. But Nuru could tell just by the expressions on her face as she listened that Tanwen was a kindred spirit when it came to appreciating stories. Thinking this made her heart feel warm, and the feeling extended to the rest of her body. It appeared the source wanted to protect her from the cold as well. She sighed deeply, lost for a moment in her connection to the source. Her pail lay forgotten by the riverbank. In the sky, there are three moons, Nuru began before opening her eyes to the world again. When the sun goes to dream, the three moons glide between the stars and find their places far apart from one another so that they may light the way for those who cannot dream like the sun in the night. You know this well, my little egg. You have spent many nights unable to dream. Tanwen smiled and nodded. That is very well. I will not tell you what you know already. Instead, I will tell you how the moons came to travel through our sky. Tanwen hugged her knees to her chest, balancing on the rock with her posture alone. She seemed to glow with curiosity, or tremble with it. 
very long ago, longer than I can remember, longer than anyone can remember, there were no moons in the sky during the night. There were only stars. If you did not dream when the sun went to dream, you could go nowhere. The stars did their best, but even together their light could not reach far. They could not touch the source. Tanwen's small mouth turned down in a sympathetic frown. Yes, Nuru agreed, giving Tanwen a sober look. It was a very sad thing. And sad, too, was the plight of all the night creatures, who could only dream during the day. The land at night was inhospitable, the air a confusing shroud. This was the state of things for some time. Nuru paused for effect. Then the first great rest came to the land. It became quiet and calm, the snow carefully covering all the creatures so that they could dream. Even the forests and the water stilled. It was in this peace that a lone bird emerged from its egg. Plumage gray as stone, warm as sunlight, its eyes opened to the land in darkness. A dream birth? Tanwen murmured probably to herself. The first dream birth, Nuru confirmed with an indulgent smile. She was called Bibik and did not know what it meant to be cared for. It was the stars that she first saw, not the land or other creatures. It was in laying eyes upon these tiny grains of light that she felt what it meant to care for. Spreading her wings, for she had come into the world knowing how to fly, if nothing else, she began a slow journey to the sky. She did not rest, even when the sun rose and fell, even when the snow melted, she did not rest. Nuru shifted her weight and smoothed out her skirts again, starting to feel the chill creeping back, though not to the point that it had become uncomfortable. The sky had lightened a little since Tanwen had come to find her, and with any luck the air would soon be warm enough to make protective magic unnecessary. Nuru folded her hands in her lap. At length the snow did melt. Thus began the waking. Into the sunlight creatures woke and were born. The air, the land, was filled again with life. But when the sun went to dream, it became dark as it always had been, and those creatures who did not dream with the sun became lost and confused as they had been before. It was in this confusion that a lone bird emerged from its egg, the second dream birth. Nuru spread her arms as she spoke. Named Vutu, she had long wings and plumage of blue like nanan petals and just as soft. Feeling the confusion of the creatures of the land, she became afraid and looked to the sky. She saw their glittering dust and felt a deep calm settle in her breast. So it was that she left the chaos of the land and flew into the sky, beginning her long journey towards the glittering dust that had so calmed her. Far off, Nuru could hear the sound of others waking, of horses snorting and pawing at the ground, faint as it was. Soon they would not be the only ones at the brook. They would hear through the trees other conversations, ringing laughter. There was time still to finish the story. Before long, the creatures of the land passed into the genesis. Trees were full, and storm or shine they bent gracefully in the wind. Flowers bloomed, fruit and vegetable grew fat, their peel lustrous, 
The creatures of the land felt joyous and so thought to bring life anew to the land so that it too would know the beauty of the genesis. A dog barked far into the trees and another answered. Tanwen's attention did not waver from the story. One night, as the sun slipped into a dream, an eagle babe pushed its kindred egg from their nest, where it fell into the largest river that has ever flowed through this land. This one? Tanwen asked, pointing to the brook beside her in astonishment. No, my little egg, Nuru laughed, affection welling in her again. Our river is a very small one. This one in the story was grander than either of us can imagine, and I doubt that our land will ever see the like of it again. Oh, was all that Tanwen said, and she looked eagerly to Nuru for the rest of the tale. The current of this river was steady and strong. It was in this danger that a lone bird emerged from its egg. This was the third dream birth. With great struggle, Aeson, as she came to be called, broke free of the water and saw the sky. Her keen eyes could not miss the distant glint of starlight, so gentle and faint. Where the water had tried to drench and slow her, the sky's cool breath had driven the last of the water from her plumage of sand and grit. Seeking safety, she beat her powerful wings and began her journey to the sky. Far off to her right, Nuru heard footsteps on the forest path. A fair morning to you both. Fair morning, Marit. Nuru gave Tanwen a pointed look, and then she called out a greeting as well, looking sheepish as she did so. What is King Nuru telling you today, eh? Marit asked, already heading to the brook, a pail in hand. A new tale, perhaps. I- I'm learning about the moon birds. Tanwen hadn't spoken loud enough, so Marit wore a puzzled expression. She glanced at Nuru's encouraging face and repeated a little louder, Moonbirds! Oh, how lucky for you! Marit began filling her pail, water sloshing over her hands. I really must hurry back, or I would stay to listen. They all bowed their heads to one another, and then Marit went back by way of the forest path hurrying as she had said she would have to. "'Would you care to hear the rest now?' Nuru asked when Tanwen had still not looked back at her. The voice seemed to startle her to attention. "'If it please you, King Nuru.' And Nuru could no more ignore that hopeful face than she could keep the sun from dreaming. She continued, conscious of the goosebumps spreading all the way up to her shoulders and thighs. "'It does.' Very much. It was Bibik who first drew close enough to the stars, those tiny grains of light, to be able to hear them. And to her they said, their voices more faint, more sorrow-filled than you or I or anyone could imagine. Please help us, they said. We have journeyed too far, and we cannot feel the source. And they whispered, please help us. Bibik who could feel the source, and who could feel the longing of the stars, reached out to both with all of her heart. With this, Bibik became the first moonbird. Tanwen was smiling brightly. In another part of the sky, Vutu was nearing the end of her own journey. 
She, too, heard the stars call to her, and feeling their roiling anguish, she reached out to the source and the glittering dust with all of her senses. Thus, Vutu wove the two together and became the second moonbird. At last, Aeson came to hear the voices of the stars. She could not abide by the fear she heard in them, and so, with all of her being, she willed the source and the stars to reach to each other through her. Aeson, largest of the three, became the third moonbird. Are they still there? In the night sky? Yes. They were never able to return to the land, and they never wanted to, Nauru explained. Still now, they dream during the day and shine in the night. For as long as they live, they will stay in the sky so that the stars and the source can meet. This is why they shine. The source and the starlight twining through them gives off brilliant light. As an afterthought, Nauru added, that constant crossing of power is also what changed their shapes. They do not look like the birds they once were. Thank you, King Nauru, Tanwen said, after they had both been quiet and thinking for a time. What for? The story. I liked it very much. Oh, Nauru smiled, feeling indulgent. I was very glad to tell it, my little egg. Then, as an afterthought, she added, It is the queen's favorite, you know. Why? Because, you see, she and the moonbirds are good friends. They have lit her path many a night when she has been unable to dream. Why? Nauru laughed at the seriousness with which the question had been asked. Her voice was filled with mirth as she answered, our queen must sometimes travel at night, unable to dream even when she is weary. She is not like us, who sometimes cannot dream. On those nights she must struggle not to, even when it is the thing she wishes to do most of all. Tanwin appeared to consider this, her expression still grave. Would you tell me a story about one of the queen's dreamless journeys? I will. Nauru smiled kindly at the child. But on another day, go now and have your morning meal. Tanwen looked a little put out at the gentle dismissal, but got up and began heading for the forest path. And do put on something woolen, Nauru called after her, getting up too. Retrieving the pail she had left on the bank earlier, she once again began collecting water. Her mind wandered to the queen to the real reason the story of the moonbirds was her favorite. It was not simply that she often had cause to be thankful for the light they cast on the land at night. No, for Queen Zara, the tale was a romantic one. The stars and the source, she had explained to Nauru once, kept apart for so long by unbridgeable distance, had been able to meet only because of the selflessness of the moonbirds. It was with love that they had knit the stars and the source back together, she had insisted, though the moonbirds had not known. On some journeys, Queen Zara had told her in the past, she would think of herself as starlight, and of Nauru, home in their kingdom, as the source. And in her despair, when she could not bring herself to believe that she would make it home, she would pray not to the source, not to the energy of the world, but to the moonbirds, who she knew would be the only ones able to bring her and Nauru back together. The wind blew again, 
and a curled yellow leaf fell into the water beside Nuru's pail. Plucking it from the surface before it could be carried downstream, she tucked it into one of her braids, closing her eyes in thought. It appeared that she would have much to do before morning came. So that was the creation myth of the three moons that circle the planet Yu'un, um, which was slightly alluded to in the last episode, The Three Moons. Um, and they are called the moonbirds because in the creation myth, as you just heard, um, the moons were said to be birds that once were born on their planet. Um, and this, this particular society revolves around um, oral traditions. So they are very musical, they are very emotional, and they pass down um, all of the stories they have, all of their history. It's all through um, stories, songs, poetry. They have no written language. And as you may have noticed, every everyone and everything in the story uh, was female, or at least used the pronouns she and her. Um, in this particular society, gender doesn't really exist the way that it does in our human societies, so she and her are really uh, just a grammatical marker. It's just a personal pronoun. It uh, It's not actually related to gender at all. Um... And uh, the role of king and queen are just societal roles. They're not actually uh, gendered roles. So, um, and that, I, I, must, I must say, that is an idea that I got from sort of a, the, the, um, the nugget of an idea that I got from uh, the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. More specifically, the first book in the series, um, Dealing with Dragons, by Patricia C. Reed, or Reedy, I'm not, I'm not entirely certain how to pronounce her name, so sorry about that. Um, but in, in her novel, um, in dragon society, king and queen are just titles. They have nothing to do with gender. I remember reading that when I was a child myself, and it blew my mind. I loved that. I loved that. I thought it was so interesting, this, um, just to encounter this concept of king and queen that for me as a kid was very much male and female, and to have um, this society in which it wasn't linked to gender, and it, it and for for the author to just changed the definition of these words. It, it inspired me so much. It, uh, it marked me deeply. I've never forgotten that. I love that. Um, and I love that book. Highly recommend it for anyone that hasn't read it. It's a great series um, and a great book. So that, uh, that little idea kind of came from there. And it's, I think, I think that has actually influenced me a lot just in general in my life that, uh, that literary encounter that I had. So, I think I will um, 
let this, this creation myth rest as it is, and um, perhaps I will pick it up again in the near future. So, um, with that said, if you're listening to this in the morning, then good morning. And if you're listening to it at night, then good night, sweet dreams. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.